Good morning. Good to see you all here this morning. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. 2 Thessalonians 2.9. New study tonight, uh, starting at 6 o'clock on the book of Ezra. Uh, so uh, bring finger foods as normal. Special music again, we see Jared. Prayer meeting Wednesday at 7. Again, Andrea's number there for the uh, prayer chain. Days of Praise and Acts and Facts are both here for September on the foyer table. And coming in October, Forgotten Man Ministries Banquet. So um, sign up on the helps board and uh, more information to come. So the RSVP is due by the 24th. Anything else that I've missed this morning? If not, the scripture for meditation is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, read 1 through 12.
I did fail to mention the upcoming uh, social. That's Saturday the 15th at 1 o'clock. That's this coming Saturday, isn't it? Could it be the 15th of September already? Um, games and range night. This is on, did you get this off the help sport? So on help sport if you want to see this. Uh, but that's, uh, again, this coming Saturday at 1. Uh, the range for the adults. And then there'll be activities for the, the young ones. $3 a person uh, for pizza. Okay. Great. Let's stand together and open our service. Ed, would you open for us today? Great. Gracious Father in heaven, we are here because you are first. And we worship you. And we ask for your Holy Spirit to enable us to do it. Thank you that you are gracious. Open your word to us. Give our pastor function and us ears to hear, be with those who are sick. Please take your red hymnal this morning and turn to page 320 in the Red Trinity. Three two zero in the red.
you. You may be seated. I, I got new glasses this week, and I can't use them to read, but I need them to see you, because I'm about that age. So do we have a favorite hymn now that I can see your faces? I do have a peanut gallery over there hand, so, but I'm looking over. All right, Naomi, yours was the first one that I saw. Go ahead. Number four in the brown. Do we have a reason for this one? Is it? <laughs> and the reason for number four in the brown is? Control, isn't he? Okay, number four.
scripture reading this morning is found in Mark, the 13th chapter, and we'll be reading verses 3 through 33. If you'll stand with me, we'll be together. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still, still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter into the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those, days, those will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if it were possible. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time, but in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, 
When you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. Ask that the Lord bless the reading of his word. Take your red hymnal again and turn to 324, 324 in the red.
Thank you, Hannah. Our scripture text today is found in Mark's Gospel. And I'm going to have a number of quotes from Mark's Gospel, so it'd be good for you to turn there, be ready to go. This is part two of the joy of the second coming. That's what we're looking at. In our last study together, we began to look at this subject, highlighting the return of Christ. We learned that just as there were many prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the coming of Jesus to be the Savior of his people, so, as we noted, numerous prophecies concerning the return of Christ to become judge and ruler over the earth are also to be found there. And we demonstrated from the New Testament the literal fulfillment of those prophecies concerning Jesus' first advent and pointed out the truth that though the prophecies concerning his second coming are not yet completely fulfilled, it is reasonable, can I say it, intelligent to believe that these latter-day prophecies will come to pass as well. God kept his word concerning Jesus' birth and ministry. He will keep his word concerning Jesus' return. Not only so, but we are already beginning to see the fulfillment of some of these prophecies on the second advent which will be part of our study today. We've looked at some characteristics. Jesus' coming will be, as he himself has predicted, no one knows the date, no one knows the time. He comes to receive his people to himself. That's very important. So then when you hear prognosticators saying that Christ is coming at a certain year, a certain time, Uh, a certain place, uh, geographically and so forth, you can say in your mind, not true, not true, not true. You know right up front, it's not true. Why? Because Jesus said, no one knows the day, no one knows the hour. He says he even doesn't know, and I know that that is a condensation on his part, but the Father knows, and he ain't telling That is the mystery of his coming. Secondly, we learn that there will be a proliferation of evil deeds followed by unbelief, as it was in the days of Noah. We have no idea what it was like in the days of Noah. I read one scripture from Genesis that said that all all day long, all their thoughts were only evil all the time. I'm thankful we're not there yet where people's thoughts are only evil all the time, but it's coming. And thirdly, we noted that even with all of that, there will be no sorrow for sin, no confession of guilt, no repentance. Things are going to go from bad to worse. They're not going to get better. Well, in today's study, I want to pick up where we left off and consider some additional characteristics of Jesus' return. And as we do, let us ask for his spirit to be our teacher using the word. Thank you, Father, for the word of God. 
Thank you, dear Christ, for your spirit that indwells your church. You came on the day of Pentecost. You promised you would come, and you did come. In fact, the scripture says in Acts that you sent your spirit back to us so that you are with us today. You are with your church. You are in the hearts of your people. And through the spirit, we look into the word of God. We look into these New Testament texts taught by you, and we understand by your spirit something of what they mean. Bless us and instruct us, but also encourage us, because we are living in the latter days, and we need to be encouraged to realize that nothing happens by chance. It is all planned out by you, and if it's planned out by you, then you have our best interests. God's people will be provided. The scripture says we have not been appointed to wrath, but to uh, joy and longing with Christ. So, Lord, these are not scary times. These are encouraging times for us. But we do have concerns for our lost loved ones. We do have concerns for our lost friends, our neighbors. We have concern, Lord, that they may not be ready. May their lamps have the oil and be ready for the coming of the bridegroom. And I pray that you will help us to testify of Christ that people will know and believe. Send your spirit upon our darkened world, we ask. Amen. We're looking at the second coming, part two, some of the characteristics of Christ's coming. We've all already listed three. I'll state them again. That Jesus' coming has no known date or time. It's not been revealed He comes for his people, but he's not telling us the day or the time. Secondly, there will be a proliferation of evil deeds. No believing in God is going to be just like the days of Noah, where all the thinking is evil all the time. And thirdly, we learn that no, there won't be any sorrow for sin, no confession of guilt, no repentance. The flood came upon all of them, and they didn't know that it was coming. They should have known. Because the preacher of righteousness, Noah, was there, but they didn't believe him. They believed he was a doddering old fool and didn't know what he was talking about. And it says in the scripture, they didn't know until the day Noah entered the ark. Right up until the day, they did not believe. Now, number four, we're going on with these characteristics. Number four, there will be a proliferation of people claiming to be Christ. Claiming to be Christ. We have it in Mark 13, verse 5. Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he. And they will deceive many. Mark 13, verse 5 and 6. Matthew's account puts it this way. For many will come in my name claiming, I am the Christ. And will deceive many. Matthew 24, verse 5. Now I read that and I say to myself, I ask the question, Why would anyone want to claim that he is Jesus Christ? 
I mean, just from what we know about the life and ministry of Jesus, wouldn't his shoes be too big to fill for any false claimant? For example, Jesus did many miracles while on earth. Wouldn't people expect to see him duplicate or revitalize his miracle-working power just as a measure of his true identity? Well, you say you're the Christ, okay. We can read in the gospel accounts some of the miracles that Christ did. You say you're Christ. What are you going to do? How are you going to prove that? Look at verse 21, 23. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ. Or look, there he is. Do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. Here we learn from Jesus that people who are all into signs and wonders are ripe for succumbing to deception. How so? Because, I'm reading again, false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect. If that were possible. What Jesus is saying is you want signs and miracles? No problem. The false Christ, the false prophets will be happy to oblige. Ever since the occult magicians in Moses' day were able to replicate Some of the plagues that God sent on Egypt, the enemies of God have been able to counterfeit miracles. By whose power? Paul told the Corinthians concerning the preachers who were showing up at their door, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light, It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness and their end will be what their actions deserve. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 through 15. Now, this was going on in Paul's day. In other words, he was already having to deal with these lying prophets Consider now what he wrote to the church at Thessalonica concerning the end days. His day, yeah, but now what about the end days? He writes, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth, and destroyed by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish 
because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And for this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 through 11. It's lies, 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 and they believe the lies. Because God allows them to be deluded. Why? Because they don't love truth. They didn't want truth when, when they were the apostles, the true apostles were preaching the truth. The true preachers were preaching the truth. And so when the deceivers come and speak lies, <laughs> that they believe. Let me say, brethren, that not everything supernatural, listen to me, not everything supernatural is from God. Just because the average man cannot perform the supernatural does not mean that people who have surrendered to the power of Satan cannot do the supernatural. I've had a number of missionary friends of mine in years past that have reported extraordinary feats by the people with whom they worked because these people had given themselves over to Satan. One girl in particular I'm thinking of, the missionaries were able to exorcise the demon from her. She came back weeks later with the same problem. And the missionary said to me, she and others like her like the supernatural power that the demons afford and so they become demon-possessed again. Oh, 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 but what they don't like is the hurtful things the demons do to them. And that's why they come back to the missionary. They get to the place where they're beat up so much by the demons. They're wicked spirits. Amen. They may they want to use these people, but they also want to abuse <laughs> these people. And so they would come back on a number of occasions demon-filled again. Jesus confronted this, very same thing, so we're on safe ground here. Jesus confronted this in his day, Mark 9, verse 17 and following. It says, a man in the crowd answered, teacher... I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. See, they're not good. They don't do you good things. They've robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, listen to this, it throws him to the ground, he foams at the mouth, he gnashes his teeth, and then he becomes rigid. I'm trying to visualize that, and that must be very scary. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground. He rolled around. He foamed at the mouth. I'm reading scripture. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often, listen to this, 
It has often thrown him into the fire or into water to kill him. They're demons, folks. They're evil spirits. The father went on. But if you can do anything, take pity on us. Help us. Can't you just enter into this, Father? If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. An honest prayer, I might add. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, He's dead. He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet. And he stood up. All this from Mark 9, verse 17 and following. This poor boy seems to have become a victim from his youth of this evil spirit's influence. It says the boy was mute, couldn't speak, deaf, couldn't hear, thrown into the fire on one occasion, thrown into the lake on another occasion, tried to kill him. Consider another, the demoniac of Gadara, Mark 5, verse 2 and following. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained, hand and foot. And he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. So I say again, just because someone has supernatural powers, in this case a demoniac that could break iron chains and shackles, does not mean they are of God. Satan is a supernatural being whose power he gladly shares with people, but always with a price. Always with a price. And in this case, the man was tormented continually. 
We read, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. Ooh, not just one. A legion of demons. They saw him sitting there, dressed. He had been running around naked. And in his right mind. (laughs) Praise God. And the next phrase is rather odd. It says, and they were afraid. Mark 5, verse 15. Here are people confronted with a real miracle, the exorcism of demons from this strong man. And what is their response? They're afraid. And the next verse indicates they petitioned Jesus to leave their province. Please go, get out. Wow. Were they terrorized at the man with the demons? Well, perhaps. But they were really afraid when the demons were cast out. Kind of puts that in perspective, doesn't it? What are people afraid of in our day? Are they afraid of wickedness? Or are they afraid of righteousness? If they loved righteousness, would they hate you and me? Let me give you some characteristics of God-wrought miracles. And this is just going to be a crash course. Nothing in depth, but a crash course. Number one. Promote the gospel of God's salvation. True miracles promote the gospel of God's salvation. When this man from Gadara was healed, he wanted to accompany Jesus and leave his hometown area. We read, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him and said, Go home to your family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and he began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Mark 5, verse 18 through 20. Wow. I know it's humbling to realize, but the chief end of God's miracles, listen to me, the chief end of God's miracles is not to heal you or rescue you or preserve you or supply your needs. The chief end of God's miracles is to bring glory to God. Glory to God. Now, he may use you to do that. But your focus needs to be on why he did it. God gets the glory. Secondly, miracles authenticate God's true prophets and spokesmen. Miracles authenticate. We read, he said to them, go into the world and preach the good news. 
to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Mark 16, verse 15 and following. Miracles confirm the truth of the gospel preacher. You say, oh, well, what about the occult priests of Egypt who were able to replicate some of Moses and Aaron's miracles? Why would God allow any demonic power to replicate, to copy? Now, that's to copy, not duplicate one of his miracles. The man of lawlessness who is to come performs a counterfeit miracles, the scripture says. In every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth. And so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. So to all the miracle seekers out there, learn here that you are ripe for deception. If you're a miracle seeker, you are ripe for deception. If you want lies, God will send you lies. If you will not hear the gospel of truth, God will give you the delusions that you crave. The text says, our text says, for false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect if that were possible. So be on your guard, I have told you everything ahead of time. Mark 13, verse 22 and 23. So what Jesus is saying here is the things the false Christs and prophets will do are not cheap magic tricks or sleight of hands. No, they are so convincing, so stupendous in nature that even God's true people will be tempted to believe that it's Jesus doing these things or his spokesman doing these. So what do we say about these things? Well, number three, God's true miracles always glorify God and his power. Not, listen to me, not the miracle worker. When Peter and John healed the lame man who sat by the temple gate begging for alms, we are told, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, All the people were astonished, and they came running to them in the place that's called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to the men of Israel, Why does this surprise you? 
Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know has been made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can now see. Acts 3, verse 16. Who got the praise? God got the praise. Instruments, Peter, John, yeah, but they didn't take the glory. Number four, all of God's miracles are for Get this now. All of God's miracles are for free. A product of his grace with no cost. No cost to the recipient at all. When Simon Magnus, his name means Simon the Great, a self-proclaimed disciple of Jesus, allegedly saved from Philip's ministry, in Samaria, when he witnessed the bestowment of the Holy Spirit, we read at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and he said, Give me this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 8, verse 19. Oh boy, that's the wrong thing to say to Peter. <laughs> Peter's response was scalding. Peter answered him, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part, you have no share, I'm reading scripture, you have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right with God. Acts 8 verse 20 and 21. Jesus taught his disciples, heal the sick, (laughs) raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Matthew 10, verse 8. I want to remind you that when the false prophets of the word of faith movement come along, you know, the name it and claim it people, Joyce Myers, Kenneth Copeland, Joel Olstein, Benny Hinn, Mike Murdoch, and many others. When they come along to put the touch on you to contribute to their ministries with the promise of receiving a special blessing from God within 90 days or whatever, be discerning, brother. The Apostle John put it this way, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 1 John 4, verse 1. They're out there. One of the things that says they're false is, hmm, what you going to give me if I heal you? 
What you going to give me if I pray for your sick daughter, your handicapped child? What you going to give me? We may not know much, many false Christs of our day, but they're out there. They're everywhere. Let me share some things with you. Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda. He's put Jesus in his name. He's out of Miami. Former heroin addict. A divorcee. He's established a ministry called Growing in Grace Ministries. Ooh, it just gives me the chills. He teaches that there's no such thing as sin. Your freedom to indulge in anything you want. There's no devil because the devil is just a Hollywood character. There's no hell. All other preachers, that's me, are liars and their religions must be destroyed. If you call me a cult, okay, but I'm a nice cult. Two angels appeared in 1973 and they said that Christ would visit me and integrate, integrate my, me with him. Wow. What he is saying is that Christ possessed him and he became Christ. Followers of the Growing in Grace Ministries have given this man a mansion, expensive cars, a bank account in the millions, and his explanation is, well, everyone should be rich. He owns his own 24-hour cable channel, his own cable channel. He made the statement, I do greater things than Jesus of Nazareth ever did. He's in 20 countries. He has 30 teaching centers in the USA alone. So I've never heard of this guy. Mm -hmm. But he's out there. He's out there. I know why you haven't heard of him, because we don't hobnob in those circles. Another one, Apollo Kimbaloy of the Philippines. He has six million followers in the Philippines. You know what the Philippine people are? They're poor. But they've contributed enough to build him a mansion in a closed compound. And he states, in his own defense, God's will for me is to have wealth. You know, you can, you can say anything. <laughs> Put God on it. People eat it. He engages in healing ministries, though he could not demonstrate a healing when asked to do so. His teaching is live a pure life. In his case of himself, he says, I have overcome all sin. 
And his point was, Jesus never had sin to conquer. So what is he saying? He's saying, I'm better than Jesus. I've overcome all. Well, Jesus didn't have that problem. These people are out there. In Siberia. Say, oh, that's on the other side of the world. Yes, it is. But there is a man there by the name of Vesparian. He has 10,000 followers. Strict vegetarian diet. No meat. He changed the Christmas date to the date of his own August birthday. Now his followers are not poor peasants. His followers are engineers, teachers, university professors, political administrators. The socialites of society. His philosophy, follow your heart. No modern medicine allowed. No surgeries allowed if you get sick. And when people join his Here's the name of his church, the Church of the Last Testament. They must forfeit all of their possessions, all of their property, all of their bank accounts. And thereafter, he will give them a stipend of approximately $12 a month to live on. Who would follow somebody like that? The deceived. Those that have that strong delusion of the evil one. Go to YouTube on your computer and type in the words false Christ and many, many more accounts will pop up. So what I am saying, this is just the tip of the iceberg. The worst is yet to come. People prefer, they prefer the lie over the truth. And God gives them their desires. God gives them their lies. Paul writes it this way, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, their foolish hearts were darkened, although they claimed to be wise. (laughs) They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. What's that? That's idolatry. Instead of the Lord and Creator, they worship the things of creation. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. 
why I'm reading scripture, and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever to be praised. Amen. Romans 1, 18 through 25. The time of Jesus' coming will be preceded by men who claim to be him. Watch out. We're already in those days. But Jesus' second coming will be the same man experienced by the New Testament church. So here's a big clue for you. One of the major problems with these false claimants is their failure to reconcile their claims with the true teachings of Jesus. I mean, if they were truly the re-embodiment of Jesus, we would expect their teaching to dovetail with that of the historical Jesus. Okay, what are some of these? Well, Jesus taught on the devil and hell. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him, I'm reading scripture, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on the right, goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you, are blessed by, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 31 and following. Jesus taught on death. He taught on death in reference to it being a place of torment, hell. He taught about the devil. The devil's going to be there. It's his place of torment. Secondly, Jesus specifically taught against the amassing of money. Saying, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or the other, or, or, and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Matthew 6, verse 24. Or in the Luke account, chapter 12, verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Oh, and what about Jesus, the king, the king? Can the king live sumptuously? Jesus replied, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Matthew 8, verse 20. Or again, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you're not to be like them. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. 
For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Luke 22, verse 25 and following. It is the principle that we are to use our resources to help others and to advance the gospel, not pad your own trivial pursuits, not to satiate your own pleasures. That's not, not why God gives you money. These false teachers have it wrong. Thirdly, with regard to Jesus' teaching on his second coming, he taught on sin and the consequences thereof that there is need for repentance. Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will Die in your sin, and where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I'm from above, you are of this world, I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, and if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. John 8. 21 through 24. No repentance. See? No trust in Christ. Number four, he taught against following your heart. He taught against a restricted diet. He said, are you so dull, he asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? It doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. And in saying this, I'm reading scripture, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Wow, all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of a man's heart, Come evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside. They make a man unclean. Mark 7, verse 18 through 23. Think of all the would-be prognosticators and Prophets and Bible teachers that teach you have to have a certain restricted diet to be holy. You have to drink some certain things and avoid other things. On and on it goes. You see what's happening here. People are snookered into following these false claimants of Christ and his return because they're ignorant of the biblical Christ. That's the problem. How he lived, what he taught, the examples he set. They don't know. And so they have no basis for a comparison 
when some self-proclaimed Messiah asserts that he's Jesus returned from glory. We're called upon to be students of the book. We're to be reminded that Jesus said that his return is going to be the same one that it was experienced by the New Testament church. Not a different Jesus. Number six, Jesus' second coming will be public, not secretive, with full disclosure. I'll wager that many, if not all of you, did not know anything about the three men I highlighted as Jesus come in the flesh, as they said they were. But they're out there building their following, raising their money, confirming their disciples, and the only way we know about them is through the mass media, chiefly through the Internet. Contrast that to verse 26 and following. At that time men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels to gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Mark 13, verse 26 and 27. Matthew's account says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Matthew 25, verse 31 and 32. The Apostle John put it this way. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Hallelujah. Even those who pierced him. I'm still reading scripture. And all the people of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Revelation 1 verse 7. Every eye will see him. Nothing secret about it. Remember, Jesus said, well, they're going to say, well, you know, go on out into the desert. And Christ is out there. You know, you need to go out there and see him. Well, there may be somebody out there in the desert, but it isn't Christ. Paul says, if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brothers? Why do you look down on your brothers? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Romans 14, verse 8 and following. There's nothing sacred about this. There's no clandestine, cloak and dagger, in the dark. It's out in the open. It's out in the light. Jesus will not have to convince anyone of his identity. Scripture says, we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
Remember those earlier days after you received the light? When you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering? Paul's writing. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you just stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. So don't throw away your confidence. It'll be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Hebrews 10, verse 30 and following. We're living, brethren, in the days of great deception. The lies of Satan, the false apostles and prophets are out there. And some of them may indeed have supernatural powers because Satan has supernatural powers. And that's all it's going to take for some people to be wowed and led astray. They were miracle seekers all along, and so when they see a false miracle, they don't know how to discern between that and a true miracle. They don't know how to connect the dots, as George would say. They have no dots to connect. They're just lost in the dark. So someone comes along and wows them with a supernatural. And they think, oh, this is the Christ. They don't have any teachings from Christ that they would adhere to. They don't love the gospel. They don't want any talk about sin. They don't want any talk about hell and judgment. It's all part of the gospel. Just tell us pleasant things, the people said. Didn't they say that? Stop preaching to us judgment. We just want to hear good things from you guys that are prophets. Okay. And that's what a false prophet does. He tells people good things, what they want to hear. But it's the truth that will set you free, not the lies of the evil one. So be prepared. Christ is coming. We're already seeing some of those indicators. Say, are you predicting a time? No. Find somebody that predicts the time or the date, and you've found a false prophet. But that doesn't mean we can't be aware of the signs or the indicators that God itself has given through his apostles. When you see this, when you see that, remember how it's said in Scripture. Then beware, be alert, the time is short. We're seeing some things. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. We can trust your word when we can't trust the thinking of men. Men twist your word. 
or ignore it altogether. They come up with their own ideas. Some of these false uh, stories, the, the stories today that I told of some false preachers, there uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's many, many dozens more out there and they're in the world and they're doing their best to sap money from even poor people, build themselves mansions and compounds and flying jets and all the things that money can buy. It's so totally foreign, so totally anti-Christ, the Christ of the Bible, the Christ of Scripture. The only reason we know that is because we believe in and have studied the Christ of the Scriptures. So when we have these people saying that they're Christ, and yet they're doing these things, it is a sign to us that something is desperately wrong. They are Satan's apostles masquerading, Paul says, as angels of light. Well, what does a masquerader do? Well, they dress up in costumes that make them look like something they are not. They put on a face mask that would indicate that they are a certain person with a certain personality when they are not. Let us be discerning. We thank you, dear Christ, that you haven't left your church alone and in the dark. You've said it in the text we read. You've told us these things ahead of time so that we won't be deceived, so that we'll know. Help us to be faithful witness to the Christ of the Bible, to our relatives and friends who think everything's just wonderful when it's not. We pray for our lost relatives and friends. Lord, grant them the light that you granted to us through the Holy Spirit, we pray, for your glory and their good. Amen. Our closing hymn is from Trinity, the red hymnal, number 327, 327.
Maybe we'll be alive when he comes. I don't know. Maybe we'll be in the grave. That's okay too. Those in the grave rise first, you remember. And then those still alive will be changed and caught up with the Lord with those that are already gone. And so we shall ever be with the Lord. So it doesn't matter which way we go, as long as we go to be with Christ. And I trust that that will be the case for all of us here. Well, tonight we begin a new study in the book of Ezra. Uh, downstairs we meet, we bring finger foods, we enjoy the time of fellowship. It's informal, we have questions and answers and all that kind of thing, so I'll invite you out at six o'clock. We are dismissed. <laughs>